Welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast in which we're seeking a profound shift in the way that we react to things. We do that through weekly discussions and twice weekly readings and responses from some of the great thinkers and spiritual writers. And my name is Richard, and I'm a spiritual coach and a mindfulness teacher with over 20 years of experience in treatment and private practice. And my name is Josh, and I'm an ordained pastor and a writer with a history of directing spiritual communities. We want you to be a part of everything that we do. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Please contact us at 424-341-3860 and follow us on This Shifting Moment on Instagram and Facebook. Habits are an interesting thing that you talk about all the time, Richard, that I, I, I don't think we've really covered a lot of on the podcast, but just, just getting into like these rhythms and modes in our lives that, um, you know, if we want to make a change, we have to continually show up for that change. And so like, what, what kind of stuff, <clears throat> is there anything coming up in, you know, yeah, a lot of stuff. I just got off the phone with somebody today and, you know, a lot of people might not relate this to, to spiritual work, but I mean, rituals and, and, um, and habits, I, to me, I think that's what the spiritual life is really all about. You know, it's finding these things that we that are important to us that uh, that we want to be committed to. It doesn't mean it, I don't think it's in a rigid way. It, it's not in like if I don't do this, my life's going to fall apart. It's more like if I do this, my life might start to look better. You know, to me, I like to err on the side of what might create a better life for me, you know, rather than, um, rather than coming from a, a fear-based perspective, if I don't do this, then all hell's going to break loose. But the, the key here is, and, and, and I, you know, a lot of times when I'm meeting with people, I, I encourage people to take a look at the day and the way they've structured their day and, and the habits, uh, like get, going, to, what time do you go to bed? You know, what time do you get up in the morning? What is the first thing that you do? Um, you know, a lot of times it, it's it's crazy. I didn't, re you know, I didn't really realize. I had a guy that I was talking to a couple of days ago, and I asked him, I said, so when's the first meal that you eat during the day? He said, oh, dinner. You go the whole day without eating a meal? Oh, yeah. How does that feel for you? And I don't think... I don't think people realize the relationship between emotions and diet and and regularity of giving their body the nutrition that they need. Or, I mean, our emotions are affected by the amount of sleep we get, the kind of people that we surround ourselves with, um, the kind of food that we put into our body, um, the, the kind of the amount of daily exercise or activity that we get, our going outside and not you know, not staying inside all the time, all that kind of stuff has an effect on our emotions. And so a lot of times, I mean, I encourage people out there and I'm gl so glad you brought this up. It's, it's something that I'm actually really, really passionate about. I, I was talking to this guy today and he's just completely overwhelmed. And, um, and, you know, we talked about what can you do today? What, what can you do today? What is there something that you might be willing to do? And uh, he said, well, my house is just completely, it's chaotic. 
you know, he sounds kind of like maybe a hoarder or whatever. And and so he was going to go buy some trash bags and there was he was going to find one room that he could go into and start downsizing. Just just one room, just one room. And I said, even if you can't do the whole room, maybe you could do just one side of the room. You know, do what you can do, not what you can't do. And uh, and I and I said you can call and check in with me if you if you want to, so that you can feel like you're not doing it alone. Because sometimes that's a real big key too. Uh, when people feel like they're doing it alone, it, it feels meaningless. But if you have somebody that you call and you check in with, it's like, okay, I did what you asked me to do. What next? And and sometimes that can be really helpful. So I do that too. And so yeah. I've heard. I've, I mean, with my. With my crazy ADD, I was told, and this is something I still use today. It was actually one of the the one of the only helpful nuggets of information that the um, ADD person like gave me that still works today. Which is that like they're like just do it for fifteen minutes, set a timer for fifteen minutes because I guess that there's some something magic happens around the ten minute mark where you and you could probably speak to this in meditation too. Like you begin to. The monkey mind begins to settle down and you begin to kind of focus in on the one task or the one thing. And so when you set that, you know, timer for 15 minutes, you're kind of telling yourself, I'm only going to do this for 15 minutes. That's not the end of the world because that's not the end of my day. That doesn't throw me off. It's just 15 minutes. And then after that, like 10 minute mark, I always feel like, oh, I could keep going. And then I'll, you know, I'll either turn the timer off or the timer goes off and I continue doing it but very rarely do i just abandon ship and go after 15 minutes like i'm not doing this but i have and that's the freedom in that is like okay i gave myself the 15 minutes if i can't do it i'm gonna walk away and right, do it again right. some other time but um yeah well i th- i think you know I, I, th- again i love this topic sometimes i tell people to do 15 minutes and even if you feel like you can go on after the 15 minutes keep stopping at the 15 minutes and the reason I would say that is because if you're setting the agenda for 15 minutes tomorrow, our mind has a funny way of kind of fucking around with us a little bit. You know what I mean? Our mind goes, well, I set my timer for 15 minutes, but yesterday I wound up doing it for three hours and it kind of messed up my whole day. And so what I would encourage people to do would be to set your timer for 15 minutes. And if you feel like you can do more, set it for more time tomorrow. That way, that way you've created a specific um, task with a specific time frame and you have a beginning time and you have an ending time so that you, you won't get lost. So, so that you're kind of honoring the, the agenda that you've created for yourself. And, and yeah, I mean, because, because otherwise our mind will, and then we'll get, and then we'll, you know, we'll do it we do it for way longer than we need to and then we didn't do something else that we thought we were going to be it just it just it buys into that whole craziness that our mind has a tendency to slip into and so we can constantly adjust those time frame i encourage people too if they get into if they if they do a lot of rumination if they do a lot of worry and anticipation see if you can set a time during the day that you're going to allow yourself to do that as much as you need to, you know, set your set an agenda for 15 minutes during the day. I'm going to really worry, I'm giving myself permission to worry. But after that time frame, I've just got to be focused in the moment. You can even schedule anger into your day if you'd like to. 
And that, that feels, you can schedule sadness and grief and you can schedule shame into your day. And you can give it moments. You can do it three, four, five times a day if you want to, if you really think you need to. But uh, that way we don't bring it into our day. That way it doesn't overwhelm the day. And it, it might feel a little bit laughable to even hear that. But if you set that agenda, um, even just the idea of that agenda will start to soften the way that we see those difficult emotions. We start They, they almost become kind of laughable you know they, they it takes the power out of them oh wow I'm gonna schedule um, my shame schedule my shame you but you can't you can and it just the idea that, that I might be doing that it's gonna it's gonna shift the our attitude about it around because then when you get into that time frame and you're acknowledging shame it's like how do I how do I access it? I love that so much because and I'm I'm really glad we're talking about this because I think if you don't schedule the time for that, there's a real tendency for it to schedule you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like like especially with shame, like flipping that narrative where you're gonna go, no, 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 I'm the one setting the timer here. <laughs> because if not, you could be stuck in that feedback loop all right. day long. Just shame, yep. shame, shame, or worry yep. or anxiety. And shame's a tricky one because it. I, mean, I was just talking about shame this morning. Um, shame's a tricky one because it's it. It feels like it's like a blanket over you. You know, like it's inescapable if you let it take control. So I love the idea of figuring out ways through habits and rituals and stuff like that to actually like take control back. Like I mean, control's a a, a nasty word, but you know, take take agency back over like these really powerful emotions that really don't need to take up so much real estate in our brains. Like they, they really don't for that long. They, otherwise they, they, they remain unruly. You know I mean? Yeah. Our, a lot, a lot of times I'll say, who's driving the bus here, you or your feelings. Yeah. yeah. And I, it, it, we have to realize that we have agency over some of those things. Hmm. I think this is all I have. I've been thinking a lot about this and I've actually been thinking about like writing something on this. Um, because I, I've noticed, especially in my sort of sobriety here and, and navigating this first, you know, chunk and first year and everything of of uh, of living this kind of a life, I've I've begun to see, and I think the thing is, and if you're listening to this and you you know are in early sobriety, you totally know what this feeling, or maybe you're in active addiction. I don't know where you're at, uh, but you probably know this feeling where it's like you you're muted for so long that you really aren't aware of what's affecting you so you're you're in this state where the only thing that's really affecting you is the thing that you're (laughs) you're leaning towards whatever that thing is and that's the affection you're getting and i love that word affection like affection is the thing that's affecting you and it can be negative or it can be positive but that's the only thing that's really that's really registering up on your radar right like for the day your radar pings for one thing and it's it's that um And I've noticed my propensity now, which I used to have too, and I used to notice this as a teenager, right? That I am an acclimation machine. And I think for me, the way I recognize that is I moved around a lot as a kid. So in every new environment, I had to acclimate like really heavily into brand new cultures. And that happened once every two years or something. It was a move across the country or even world. And I would have to figure out, you know, okay, I've got to be this person in this room. Um, 
and 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 what would do that was me being thrown head first and headlong into an immersive world. <laughs> and I think what sobriety is, is throwing yourself headlong into an immersive world for the right reasons. And that's what ritual and habit can do. There's a, um, a mystic and I forget, I think this isn't like the gospel of Thomas that they say this, but it says, um, I was able to leave one world with the help of another. And I, I was struck by the fact that like, that's really what, um, what a change, a, a positive change in your life looks like is leaving one world, one world that may have been hurting you, one world that may have been negative and, and not okay. And to leave that world behind, you really do need the help of another world, which is, <laughs> you can't just leave it and go like, okay, I'm done with it. And then just be floating off in space. You need another world to go over to. And I think what things like habit and ritual do is they create that world for us. Like you, you get to spend time and acclimate in a space that is set apart. It's a different world than what you're, you know, used to living in. And like, so like my meditation time, my prayer time, my walks, whatever that looks like, those are all times where I'm completely immersed in something new. So that becomes that new world that I'm kind of gravitating towards and making a home in now, you know, um, rather than the old world, which was, you know, very much on my own terms and in my own head and all of that kind of stuff. And that did not work out well. So right. I, I think habits and ritual are really kind of the key to that and they don't get enough play. Like I think, you know, it, it but it it's, all really does come down to setting these intentions and these habits. And, and I think the values play into that too. It, it really does. And I, because I, I think the old world is kind of a launch pad, you know, for us to realize that um, there are some changes that need to be made. You know, it's, it's like, it's like what they talk about a lot of times in recovery. If, if you're not desperate enough, um, you're not going to be willing to make the changes you need to make uh, in order to create a different life for yourself. You're not going to be open to the, the transformation that you, that you're seeking. You know, I, I tell a lot of people that it's like if you want to find out why you picked up a drink all the time, try stopping. <laughs> all that, sh all the shit that you used to get loaded over starts to come up, and that's that's where ritual and practice come in, so that we don't get sucked into that kind of stuff, and we start to create that. Um, we start to create habits that cause us to, to maybe feel a, a little bit better, so that we can navigate those ups and downs because when we stop drinking or doing whatever it is we're doing we start to see the pain that we were trying to numb out or the pain that we were trying to avoid or whatever and this can be through codependency it can be it could be through anything it you know whatever whatever we've gravitated to to not feel what we to not feel things that are too uncomfortable to feel um and and so our rituals and routines allow us to have some structure in our day so that we, we're, and I, again, I, I tell people all the time, if, if you set a time frame, if you set something that you have to do at 11 o'clock in the morning, it should, there should be almost nothing that comes in the way. When, it, when it's 11 o'clock in the morning, this is what you do. Because I see some people, it's like, well, I was going to do that at 11 o'clock, but then the phone rang and, and then, and then 
Johnny wanted, you know, breakfast or whatever. And I always tell people, it's like, no, this is this is you creating your life. And it's okay to tell somebody that, you know what, I have a I have an appointment at eleven. You know what? I have an appointment with me. Okay. I have an appointment with me and I've set something down in stone and it's not negotiable barring an earthquake or some life threatening you know to the to the best of our ability but it, it needs to be something that's honored you know because a lot of times we just give ourselves wow you know me getting up at eight well maybe maybe not we'll see and you ha- you have this idea about getting up at eight o'clock in the morning but the fact of the matter is is if we get up at 10 o'clock every morning we're not going to feel in sync with the rest of the world we're just it's very likely that we're not because we're not doing what the rest of the world does. And there's a rhythmic quality to the world, the way the universe operates. And we live on a planet with billions of other people that have rituals of getting up and going to work and driving to work and eating lunch at noon. And so there's this, there, there's this um, awareness that we tap into that we're doing, that we're in, in line, we're in alignment with, the rest of humanity and uh when we're not in alignment with the rest of humanity if you get up at 10 11 12 o'clock in the day it's you're going to feel like you're not doing whatever it, it just causes you to feel off it opens the door to that and um and in any recovery uh world they would tell you that you're kind of in you're doing what people do when they use you know and uh, but we can see that with all with with food and codependency, these little habits that we that we take on, we start to chip away. At I think there's a reason we say I think it's in our language and we don't even know it. Like we'll say if we're not feeling good that day or something, we'll say, I just feel a little off today. Like and, and we say that and we mean it. It's the best way to say it. But the real question is off of what? Because off of what is is you feel off of your rhythms, your your natural sort of like you can, like maybe you got up too late, maybe you you know didn't go to bed on time the night before, maybe you haven't eaten the way you should, maybe you had a weird conversation with someone, maybe you drank too much, whatever it is, it's coming up and you're feeling off. And the reason that we say that is because there is a center, like there is some sort of center that we can tap into when we're actually going through ritual. Like I've actually thought about this a lot. Richard's in the process of. Um, and I'm so impressed with you, Richard, like doing this, this record that you're doing. Um, and I've listened to your, uh, songs and stuff and, and you asking me, you were like, Hey, take a listen to these. And we're doing a lot of, um, separate work around that and everything. And, um, and I, I listened to it and I realized I haven't, it was so funny to me. That was my life, right? Like, so like for years and Richard and I both share this, like my day from the minute I woke up, like I was, this was my life. I, I woke up, I rolled over. I had a place, this, this is funny. I had a place in Hollywood when I first moved out here, I moved into a recording studio. So my first place was, it was an old studio that had like lapsed. And so the landlord was like, I just want normal tenants to live there. I found it on Craigslist. Two other guys from Craigslist were willing to like move in with me. I didn't even know them. It was sight unseen. All I knew was that there was a studio in there and I was going to get to like basically live in a room that had a door that opened up to like this ISO booth. So I'd wake up, I would go over to my computer, fire it up, put my guitar in my lap and I would start playing and I would play from like morning 
tonight. Like, and then I would go in the booth and I would just create and create and create. And, and I, I, I'm not saying this is some dramatic thing. Like it was, you know, some hit making machine or anything. It was, it was fine. And it was work actually. Like it felt like work. It was, uh, and, and I think the, uh, the deal was like, I look back on the stuff that I created in that time and it was so like in sync. It was so, um, it was just, it was just such a natural outflow, but it was because I was living my life in a way that was like conducive to like, I'm going to, I'm going to create a song today, or I'm going to create something today, or I'm going to put this part of this in. And it was, my life was musical because I was making it musical. And, I think with our rhythms and stuff, that's what, like, I think spiritually when I'm not showing up for the things that I need to show up for, I, there's no music in my life because I'm not able, I'm not set to create any sort of meaningful moment <laughs> when my life is just sort of a clusterfuck um, of like whatever comes next. You know, I think we get, we get in that pattern of just, I'll just take it as it comes. And when we're doing that, there's it doesn't leave much space for the music it doesn't leave much space for like real beauty to happen you know i i love it that you're coming at it from this angle and I, because it, it it it's one thing to talk about um but habits and rituals that help to correct things in our life that might need correcting but it's another thing to create habits and rituals that it that's kind of prescriptive that helps us to generate things that we've never been able to generate, you know, that we know are important to us. Um, and I think that's one of the things that happened for me. I mean, um, just a little bit of a backstory. You opened the door to music and I, I have to jump in. So um, when I first got sober, I got sober in 1991 and I was playing, I was making a living playing in a band. And I'd been doing that for 25 years. 25 years and so I've been playing music since I was 14 I, I played in high school I I've always played music that was my life and when I realized when I got sober I was playing in these kick-ass bar bands and everybody was drunk and it was you know slinging shit all over everywhere and it, it was crazy but I realized that I couldn't stay sober and be in that environment uh, but I didn't want to let go of music and so I created specific rituals for myself early on because I, I couldn't walk away from music and um, I needed to look at it from a different perspective. It's interesting because I was the only guy in my band that didn't sing. And I was the only guy in my band that didn't write music. I was a drummer. And, uh, and so, so what I did uh, a couple years after I got sober because I was in such pain about having to walk away from from my music, at least that's how I saw it, that um, I created a ritual and I came home every night and sat on my couch and eventually sat on the curb smoking cigarettes. Uh, <clears throat> but I just, I wrote and I gave myself permission to write the shittiest ass songs I could write. And it's like nobody was gonna hear them. I'm just, I committed myself to writing a song a month and um, chords, lyrics, had it I typed it all up I put it in a book and that was really key for me because I knew a lot of other people that wrote songs and didn't put them didn't organize them didn't have them in a folder where they could flip through the folder and go this I wrote this and put my finger down or I wrote this 
it's I'm working with a guy right now who's written hundreds of songs. And I go, where are they? And he goes, well, they're all in my head. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck. And, and he looked at me and he, he started laughing at me. And, and I go, how many are there? And he goes, I don't know. And he, he really couldn't remember. And so our task is to spend uh, a certain amount of time every day uh, basically remembering uh, some of the things that he's created and committing them to paper and organizing them in a book. And it's just it's shifted him around. Again, it's creating meaning and purpose, you know, and that comes through ritual. Uh, ritual and practice create meaning and purpose. And we can use it to create meaning and purpose, but we can also use it to make the changes that we need to make in our life when we've created poor habits. Yeah, yeah. Well, and ritual makes it possible for you to, like, I, I think that's the, when we think of ritual, or at least this is me, <laughs> I keep saying we, uh, when, for me, when I think of ritual, I think of like, okay, that's a lot of work, right? Like that, that's the first inclination I think um, I have when I think about ritual because of what I know about ritual. It is, it is work. It's showing up and it is work. But I think the real thing is like, once you get into that pattern, it doesn't become such an arduous thing. It's, it's like, it, it becomes as easy as your breath is a ritual. Your heart is doing a ritual for you there. You're just entering in. Like, if you think about just nature, even if you're not a God person, just nature shows up. There's a rhythm to it. There's a ritual to it. If there wasn't, we would you'd notice really quickly right <laughs> when something goes out of there's, sync yeah there's a, ri a rhythm to to you know plants regenerating themselves and the leaves seasons. falling into the ground and the the, the, the decay that happens that the fertilizes sun comes the up, soil the sun goes yeah down. there's a there's a movement in the world and 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 that movement is something that we need to be able to kind of lay over the fabric of our lives you know that that our own our own rhythm Things that allow us to feel like we're, like we're creating and moving forward, and things that allow us to make adjustments where we need to make adjustments, you know. And and I think that's what ritual and practice is really all about. If if we want to learn, if you know, if if we want to be able to approach things from a place of of serenity and calm, we have to practice serenity and calm. Uh, we have to we have to know what it feels like. We have to understand what we're looking for. Otherwise, it winds up just being a, an idea. Uh, we have to feel that. Wow, I'm sitting in my daily practice. I'm doing a meditation. This is what I want to be able to access during the day. And I, the more I practice it, the more I start to feel that in my day, so that we can bring that sense of peace as best as possible into the chaos of our life. Um, and, and that's, that comes from that inner exploration, that inner experimentation. We access it from within because life is going to do whatever the hell it does. Um, uh, we, our work is to be able to bring who we want to bring, the kind of human being that we want to bring into, into those moments that, that are, might be a little bit unpredictable and unknowing. And uh, and it does t it takes re real concerted practice and I, but again also I mean I one of the things you and I talk about is I, I'm doing a lot of writing right now we we're I'm written a couple of books um, and I'm uh, I don't 
I don't know how that's happened. I have absolutely no idea how that's happened other than the fact that there was a ritual, uh, a, a, a practice created around it. And, um, and very often I would sit down at my computer to write. And it's like, I don't feel like writing. Yeah. It's like, I don't care. Well, exactly. Write yeah. anyway. Right. Yeah, I don't feel that, like is is a killer, <laughs> and it's not. It's, yeah, oh, it's you crazy. can't go by that. Yeah. No, I mean I, I have a woman that I worked with that I work with, and uh, she was always aspired to be a writer. She's in her seventies, and her her husband is really highly regarded author. And we started working together, and she said, "Richard, I want to write a book." Hmm. And I go, "Okay, okay." So we started working at that. And, and she would come into my office. We would do a session. She said, oh, God, I've got writer's block. I haven't written a thing this week. I haven't written anything today. And I go, okay, that's, that's great. And I, I said, pull out your pad of paper. I'm going to put the timer on for 20 minutes. You write. I said, so at the end of the day, you can't say that you haven't written anything. And that, that changes everything. It's not about what we write, it's that we write. In essence, like the laziest version of writing is waiting for something to fall on your lap, which I yeah. think is unfortunately what we're what we're designed or what we're taught is like, oh, you're supposed to be in this what I the greatest myth that has ever lived is like the I'm supposed to be in a cabin um in the woods like overlooking a waterfall you know with a typewriter staring out like Hemingway or something like the the fact of the matter is that's not where the goods really come maybe it you really might have is. a moment but the the goods come when you've entered that space and hiked there in your in your work and in your brain like you have to yep sit down do the work do the thing I, yeah uh, I, otherwise otherwise our writing is conditional we're waiting for a condition. It's conditional and it's not, I think about this all the time. There's a book um, called A Movable Feast. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, is, it, is it Hemingway or is it listeners are screaming at me right now? But he was a huge drinker, right? Like just the biggest drink. I think it was, it was Hemingway. There's a line in it where he's talking about how he writes and his whole job. And he really romanticized this idea of I just write one sentence a day mm -hmm. and I just sit at this coffee shop until I get this one sentence. And I... <laughs> I'd realize now as an alcoholic, looking back on that, I was like, yeah, that's because you've been hung over all day. I know what that feels like. like <laughs> you feel like shit <laughs> yeah, all you're, day. You're fighting yourself to get that one line and then you just go back to the bar and you feel great. Um, so like, but even in the midst of like, and his was bad, you know, like, like severe alcoholism, showing up and working was the only way for him to get to that one line. And for us who are, who are on the freedom side of that like the the good news is what i mean i think the real the real thing is what are you so scared of when you sit it's down exactly we're scared like, of judgment we're scared of our own judgment and we're scared that we're not going to be good enough or that it's not going to measure up the the, the great um, musician stravinsky i i read this in one of my books uh years ago and it's always stuck with me he said i can't wait for inspiration I don't wait. I don't wait for inspiration. He said, "Writers write. If you're writing, you're a writer." He said the he said the stage teaches me to act. The paper teaches me to write. 